Daily Drive is brought to you by the Michigan Economic Development Corporation. Innovation. Resilience. Agility. It's how Michigan businesses continue to work together to make a difference now and shape the future. Join us and make your mark where it matters. Visit michiganbusiness.org slash radio. I'm Jamie Butters, Chief Content Officer at Automotive News. Welcome to Daily Drive for Tuesday, August 3, 2021. Elon Musk and Tesla have brought so much change to the U.S. auto industry. The perception of EVs, the company's marketing and media strategy, its executive compensation. But major elements of Musk's disruption has centered on the retail system, the entrenched franchised auto dealers that incumbent brands have employed in the U.S. for the better part of a century. On one hand, Musk and many of his staff didn't have very good experiences as car shoppers. But he also didn't believe that established retailers would be sufficiently motivated to sell vehicles that could require much more time to explain and sell, but wouldn't provide much maintenance business down the road. When it was just a few hundred or a thousand roadsters or supercar-priced sedans, that wasn't such a big deal. But now, Tesla is America's number four luxury brand, as well as the dominant player in the fast-growing, but still small, EV market. Its retail innovations and clever workarounds to avoid prohibitions on direct sales of automobiles have raised concerns that inspired a whole series of stories in automotive news this year about all the threats to the industry sparked by Tesla. Tim Higgins explored all that and more in his book, Power Play, Tesla, Elon Musk, and the Bet of the Century. I worked with Tim at the Detroit Free Press and at Bloomberg News. He's now a technology reporter at the Wall Street Journal, and we reached him in Washington, D.C. Tim Higgins, welcome to Daily Drive. Thank you. So you've got a, a new book out. It's uh, just dropped today, Power Play, uh, Tesla, Elon Musk, and the Bet of the Century. Um, it's a it's comprehensive book. Uh, but for today's interview, uh, you know, with automotive news, I thought it'd be best if we could focus on Elon Musk's disruption of the auto retail landscape. Uh, of course, he's done a lot with uh, electric vehicles and uh, really changed the way America thinks about them and, and built a lot of excitement around what had been a, a, some pretty boring technology. But he's also he's really uh, made a lot of impact on the retail world. Uh, it seemed like if his first motivation was to save the planet, his second might have been to defeat the franchise dealer system. What was the origin of that? Well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, if you look at the original business plan for Tesla, going back to 2003, when Martin Everhart um, was thinking about what Tesla would be like, he actually imagined a world of, of franchise dealers selling Tesla. He He thought uh, that the luxury, ultra luxury dealers uh, would be a, a good good way for him to distribute. Um, he was imagining a, a roadster, a two, two-seater uh, car going out that way. And it was only as they started to kind of get into actually building the business after Elon Musk had come on as the largest investor and uh, chairman. And as Everhart started kind of investigating, you know, how to build the, the company, they came to a conclusion that they didn't want to go down to the franchise route because they were concerned about giving up too much power to these these third parties. They wanted to to, to control the customer experience. Um, that was very important, and, and in large part because all of these guys had had experiences with 
franchise dealers and perhaps they hadn't had always the greatest experience. And so they thought this could be an area where they could win. But he also, I would say it was personal, but he had not enjoyed the experience of being a customer at a, at franchise dealerships, right? Correct. Correct. There was a sense that, that it wasn't the greatest customer experience. And also Elon um, had this big concern that as they were pushing a new kind of car, a new technology, electric vehicles, that um, franchise dealers um, might not have the same kind of incentives to sell those vehicles, that they might uh, want to go down an easier path of selling the cars that customers were already familiar with, gas-powered vehicles. And on top of that, um, as you know, uh, franchise dealers make a lot of money from the, the parts and service business. And uh, early on, Tesla believed that uh, there wouldn't be a lot of uh, need for um, fixing their vehicles because they, there was a belief that uh, electric vehicles wouldn't need as much maintenance and that sort of thing. Yeah, debate. I guess there's still some debate over that, but uh, there's a lot <laughs> of logic uh, behind it. So it's uh, you mentioned that that argument that you know traditional auto dealers, especially you know eight ten years ago, were not highly motivated to sell electric vehicles. <laughs> uh, that was one of the, that's a case he actually took to the Texas legislature. Let's, let's talk about Texas some, because that was uh, an interesting battleground for him, starting with the fact that um, how they managed to, to, to sell cars there sort of when they weren't allowed to have stores that automakers were expressly banned from owning auto dealerships or stores in the, Republic of Texas, right in the state of Texas, uh, and so so tell that story. How did how did uh, George Blankenship find a find a loophole there? Yeah, well, I mean, first, you know, maybe if we unpack that a little bit and step back. A lot of the early assumptions that Tesla had when they set up the business, when Martin Everhart set up the business, didn't prove true or didn't prove to be uh, reality. Whether it was cost of of building a vehicle or how long it would take, and and so you know, the idea that they would just have their own stores seemed like a great idea, um, but it would prove way more complicated than um, <laughs> in reality. I mean, they figured out how to do it in California, but as they started going across the U.S., uh, many states, um, as you know, have uh, uh, rules uh, or uh, regulations in place um, that really make it hard for the manufacturer to sell directly. And in, in some places prohibits it all, right? So Texas is a really good example. And Texas, of course, is also just a huge uh, car buying market in the U.S. Um, and so, you know, if Tesla was going to be successful as a real car company, it really needed to figure out a way to get into Texas. Um, so George Blankenship... Um, had been a high-level Apple executive who really helped Steve Jobs develop that company's um, strategy for opening a retail network. He was, in a lot of ways, a real estate kind of guy. He had relationships mm -hmm. with malls um, across the country and built out uh, the Apple stores that are so um, ubiquitous and kind of really disruptive for their time. And, and Elon really wanted just to have basically Apple stores. So he hired the guy that made the Apple stores and he, uh, George, quickly became a, a key player in Tesla in, in that period of time. And this is the kind of period of time 
when they're getting ready to bring out the Model S. So prior to that, and so George and the Tesla team start trying to figure out ways around it. And they go into Texas and they realize that while they might not be able to make the sale of a car uh, directly in Texas, that they could set up what they called uh, galleries. And these would be places where you would be educational experiences. You would be able to go in and learn about a vehicle. Um, but when it came time to, uh, you know, if a customer wanted to buy it, it was more of a situation of like, well, we'll get back to you. And they would have uh, a you know, call center or someplace like Colorado or uh, Nevada would call up and say, hey, we hear you want to buy a car. And they would walk through that process uh, online uh, over the phone and uh, be a process of sending in paperwork and, and money. And then the car would ship to Texas. Um, and so that was a real key. And that was a really big win. And that uh, for Tesla to figure that out, and it was a kind of a model that they started taking to other states that had similar laws, and so it became kind of a patchwork um, distribution model that Tesla kind of figured out uh, early on before, as they were preparing to bring out the Model S. You had also mentioned in, in the book how they did this; they found this loophole like the week after the legislature stopped meeting, so. Uh, and Texas legislature what only meets every other year. So, right. you know, they, they weren't going to hold a special se- session just to stop Tesla. So they had this window, you know, to get a foothold and right. uh, really maximize that there. Uh, it was very clever timing. They, they got in there and, and uh, you know, it was one of those things where, you know, you have to remember that the roadster was in a lot of ways, a curiosity to, I think, a lot of people. And so, yeah, the Roadster going into Texas, this didn't really seem like that big of a deal, probably to a lot of people at the time. But as the Model S starts to come out, remember the Model S is the, you know, this was the flagship. This was really what Tesla was going to be built upon. This was first revealed in 2009, um, was used to raise money through an IPO process in 2010, and uh, began production in 2012, but really didn't start to hit the market until 2013. And when it hit, uh, it was, um, you know, it was a game changer in a lot of ways. It allowed Tesla to report its first quarterly profit um, in the early part of 2013. And every place that Tesla was going, opening these kinds of stores and galleries, they were getting a lot of attention and uh, franchise dealers, well, they were taking note. This was uh, something that was kind of unnerving here, this idea of a direct-to-customer um, experience, um, you know, had a lot of uh, had a lot of eyebrows. At that point, the, the Texas Car Dealers, uh, Dealer Association, um, you know, they wanted to have a sit-down. It would, would, it would initially, when you know Tesla was down there trying to push push their ideas, I think that the association was pretty dismissive. But come come the model Model S, that was a different story. So Bill Walters, longtime uh, president of the Texas Auto Dealers Association, uh, goes out to uh, California to meet with Elon Musk and try to convince him that the time has come for Tesla to to take on dealer partners. Yeah, Bill Walters is a longtime um, Texas uh, powerhouse in the automotive industry. Here, here's a guy who had spent uh, a generation. In the, in the halls of power in Austin, and you, you know, uh, controlled 
um, a, a lot of political might for those uh, car dealers who oftentimes in their communities are um, some of the biggest civic boosters, perhaps uh, some of the big, biggest businesses in small towns. They sponsor little leagues. They've got their names on uh, church functions. I mean, you, you know, they're ubiquitous um, throughout communities across Texas. And so Bill goes to uh, goes out to Palo Alto to meet with Elon, shows up at the headquarters there and kind of tries to make his pitch like uh, any, you know, political operative might. And, you know, Elon, uh, he doesn't have a lot of uh, <laughs> a lot of patience uh, for the old ways of doing things. And he just he just was not into that. And it, the, the, that my sourcing on this is the, the, the meeting became uh, maybe pretty contentious pretty quickly and uh, to the point where uh, Elon uh, tells Bill that uh, he's going to spend a billion dollars to overturn the franchise laws across the, U- the U.S. Uh, yeah, he sa- uh, says it uh, in, a, in a profane way at that. Uh, but... <laughs> <laughs> the, the meeting so, yeah, ended... he really was out, you know, he wasn't just trying to find a way to sell his cars. He wanted to blow up the system. He wanted to uh, defeat the franchise system and, once and for all. Yeah, and the way it was the, the way that Bill approached it was these dealers provide a, a service to the customers. Um, you know, they're the fabric of the community, and that customers want to deal with these these dealers. That they go for service. Um, this is where they you know they have relationships. And Elon just doesn't didn't buy into any of that. And it and in some ways. Uh, Elon kind of take, took it personally because the way Bill would frame it was this was part of America and Elon would almost feel almost, it seems like almost felt like he was being called un-American and that really kind of set him off. And the meeting ended with Elon storming out, um, you know, and profanely telling uh, whoever was around to get, to get Walters out of the offices, you know, essentially as soon as possible. <laughs> We'll be back for more with Tim Higgins after this. Innovation. Resilience. Agility. It's how Michigan businesses work together and continue to build the future. Our expertise, talented workforce, and collaborative environment are making a difference now and shaping the future. Join us and make your mark where it matters. Visit michiganbusiness.org slash radio to put your plans in motion. That's michiganbusiness.org slash radio. So uh, he goes back to Texas. And of course, I mean, since then, right, Tesla has a, a pretty big footprint in Texas with SpaceX. They're building a, another factory there. But at this time, they're still still pretty new. And he's trying to get, he's getting attention. And they, he's like, he goes to battle. Uh, he maybe didn't spend a billion dollars in Texas, but like a third of that, right? And then... Uh, but uh, but the dealers were formidable, formidable opponents on the other side. Why don't you uh, read an excerpt from uh, from your book about that? Yeah, sure. Let me set this up a little bit. So, uh, you know, the really the battle line is drawn in that next session of, of the legislature. And there's a couple of things going on. So Elon is spending a lot of time in Texas at that point. Uh, he's pushing two things. Uh, he, he's looking for. Uh, some, he's looking for SpaceX to get into Texas, uh, but on top of that, he's looking to change the franchise laws. And so 
he's he's spending you know, you know not very much uh, on lobbyists, but it felt like a lot probably to Tesla, I mean, less than four hundred thousand uh, dollars, eight eight lobbyists in the state. But and I'm going to read from the the book here that that number paled in comparison to the money flowing from Walter's shop. The Texas Dealers Association hired almost three times as many lobbyists for up to seven hundred and eighty thousand dollars. And that was on top of the car dealers' political donations that swelled to more than 2.5 million during the previous year's elections. Musk could feel the influence dealers had. During a visit to the state house, a senator approached Musk. I love what you're doing with SpaceX, the man told him. I hate what you're doing with Tesla. Musk maintained his composure, but inside he was seething. That's and you good. can almost imagine how we've become We've become accustomed to seeing uh, Elon Musk uh, lash out against his detractors and those people he feels have wronged him now. I mean, Twitter is full of those battles, right? Uh, But at the time, you have to remember that in 2013, 2014, that Elon Musk hadn't really emerged. You know, we were starting to see the public Elon Musk. He was getting, he had gotten attention with uh, Iron Man movies, you know, the idea that the Tony Stark uh, character for the movies was kind of inspired by him, was out there. He was, he was showing up uh, as a bit characters in movies and, and stuff like that. So he was, he was kind of becoming a, I don't know, a sea level celebrity at that time, but he, you know, for the average, the, the, the people out in the, in, in the mainstream world, uh, you know, they weren't really sure about this guy. They didn't know who he was. And so he, he, he was still kind of, keeping his, his diplomacy in place. In fact, I've seen you, you go back to his testimonies um, at the state house there. You know, he's, he's not dressed like a Silicon Valley guy with in a t-shirt, you know, he's, he's, he's playing the part of a, uh, of a, of a corporate uh, CEO making his case. And he, uh, we also at that time saw some of the early kind of signs of how he was able to kind of send the Tesla fans to, to support and raise, um, raise help when he needed it. He, he put out attention, he put out calls for uh, Tesla owners to go to the state house to, to kind of show their support. And that kind of ability to motivate and mobilize uh, the Tesla fans out there would really become something important down the road. And what we see today um, as it, it acts as the advertising and marketing arm of, of the, the world's largest uh, or world's most valuable automaker. I mean, it saves the company billions in advertising uh, with the, the voices out there on Twitter and Instagram and on that in white like. Okay. So we're, we're running out of time, but I do want to touch on go just a little more on that. You did um, you, you wrote also a significant amount about, you know, the rollout of the Model 3, right? First, they did the, the Roadster and, and there was some innovation, retail innovation. And instead of waiting for people to buy them at stores, you know, is, is putting them, putting butts in seats, right? And getting people to do test drives and they, uh, the experience sold them on the car. Yeah. And then they had the, the Apple Store model, uh, which was great for selling, you know, Model S's that are $100,000 <laughs> to uh, uh, and to just get the word out about the brand and the idea that EVs uh, could be fun and exciting. And then, uh, the you know, with the uh, the battles with Texas and, and basically, though, finding a way to get a pretty much a nationwide retail footprint. But they still had no idea how to deliver on a large scale. 
right? right. The rollout of the Model 3 when he came, supposedly a $35,000 car, really it was more like a fifty dollars to $65,000 car, right. uh, but definitely a different level of volume than, you know, selling six-figure, you know, roasters and sedans. Right. And in, in a lot of ways, the, 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 the dealers and Bill Walters and all these people who Elon fought early on, in some ways they were right. Without having those that network of franchise dealers out there, Tesla didn't have the kind of scale to handle all of these new customers coming in, and that was really evident when they were trying to uh, flood the market in 2018 with all of these vehicles that they were building uh, for the first time, and really depending upon to keep the lights on uh, because they needed the money from those sales, and and so you get into 2018. You know, we spent the first half of that year watching as they struggled to learn how to make those cars. Well, once that clicked, once they get the factory going, then they got to deliver them. And in the, in the third quarter of 2018, there was expectations inside Tesla that they were going to deliver 100,000 cars, um, really mostly in the final few weeks of uh, the third quarter. And they just didn't have, um, you know, the infrastructure in place to really handle that easily. And it was a mad dash. Uh, they were, in fact, you know, send, using employees and contractors to drive cars to people's homes and then taking Ubers back to the office to do it all over again, just to, to get those cars in people's hands. Because unlike uh, a General Motors, uh, Tesla books the sale when the customer gets the keys to, to the vehicle that's handed over. So they needed that to take place to make the, to make the quarter, to make the year, really. So they've got like some, you know, some salespeople out around the country uh, who've had some experience delivering vehicles and and getting signatures and and handing off the car, but then he sent thousands of people from headquarters, and then found that wasn't enough. And then, like you said, he rallied the the customers to come out, <laughs> right? And, you know, with the delivery of the vehicles, they volunteered their time uh, it, to it, this brand. Uh, people just seem it's it. You have a lot of examples about people just believing in what the brand stands for and uh, the importance of EVs and, and being a better steward of the environment and how that really motivated people around Tesla. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that was one of the things, you know, going back to the origins of, of the company um, it was built upon this idea that if they, they started with kind of higher end cars and built kind of this halo that people would be excited by this idea and that would build a lot of strength. And it really kind of played out over the years. And the, you know, the question still remains um, if the model will be the right model, because as we know now, it was they, as we know, Tesla continues to struggle, uh, you know, to, to really figure out it, its sales and distribution model um, and its service model. These still are still areas that the company is learning how to how to adapt to as it gets incredibly bigger, incredibly fast. Um, just learning how to swallow that is is one of the huge huge issues for the company in the next few years. Because it's it's anybody who's dealt with customers and, and watched brands over the years know that the, the, for a while you can get by on being the cool brand, but. Um, if you start to treat the customers in a poor way, that can have negative effects um, years for years down the road. So when is that tipping point um, and can they can they avoid that? That's the big question. Right. Well, and they're going to face the challenge of uh, serious competition from all the grown up 
incumbent automakers who are this decade starting to get really serious uh, in competing with EVs. Right. Uh, very interesting right. times. I mean, it's interesting because you see that the kind of the messaging from GM and, and Audi when they've talked about their electric vehicles. You know, one of the things they always kind of kind of note is that they've got this dealer network that can support the customer with it. So, you know, the, that's going to be continue to be one of the battle lines that's been drawn is 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 how are EVs purchased and how are they serviced? Which model is going to be the right model? The book is called Power Play. Tim Higgins, thanks for joining us. Thank you. That's your Daily Drive for August 3rd. Thanks for listening. Our producer is Eric Jones. For the latest news on the auto industry, type in autonews.com. And for the complete library of more than 300 interviews, go to autonews.com slash daily drive.